Hi, Mike Gibson and Jim Hermiller, Dwayne Pinto, Mike Reardon coming to you live from Sky 2017. Guys, we're talking TAVR. Uh, how has TAVR changed over the recent years? Where are we going in terms of who's eligible to have a TAVR now? How are we expanding the population? Um, well, Mike, thanks for, for having me. I think what's changed uh, recently has been, uh, no pun intended, an expansion into uh, the intermediate risk population. And uh, with that now, uh, to clarify, uh, I think a, a better term for them is a less high-risk population. They're still on average 80 years old. Uh, but this intermediate risk population has fewer comorbidities. And uh, they're a group of patients where uh, we think there's equipoise in most cases with uh, surgical AVRs. And then obviously we are now focused on some of the operational issues with TAVR, with throughput for the patients, trying to avoid ICU stays, trying to minimize the types of things we do in the, in the procedure. Trying to cover uh, the same day TAVR. Any yeah. other n new groups uh, that we're expanding into? Well, I think, I think I echo it's, it's going into the lower risk groups. I mean, the, the old high, intermediate, low, I don't think really apply anymore. And I think really it's, it's, we're still dealing with an elderly population. And as a surgeon, I've become convinced that if you're 80 years old, you're a candidate for TAVR unless you're anatomically not a candidate. If you're 75 and you had previous heart surgery, you're a candidate for TAVR. So it certainly changed the way that we do evaluations at my place. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think as we look at this intermediate risk, a lot of those patients uh, we were treating before these studies came out, right? And as we look at what's predicted to be maybe 60% of surgical AVRs is this low risk, I think we've already gotten into that because they're elderly. They may have low STS scores, but they're 80, 85. And so, you know, I think we're actually into the lower risk patients by STS alone already. So what's ahead? What's the future? What are some of the technical challenges that have yet to be overcome, and how are we going to solve them? Well, I think for the future, I mean, from, a, from a cardiac surgical standpoint, again, we need to, to show that these are non-inferior in the low risk. But even in the low risk, I bet we have an intermediate, a mean age of 75. Uh, how low we go age-wise is going to be a real question. I think we've settled the issue of stroke, which early on was my selling point for core valve high risk is, you know, let me randomize you because stroke is an issue. Stroke's pretty much gone away compared to surgery. It's not gone away. We still need to solve it. I think we've largely solved PVL. I think we're well on our way to solving pacemaker. I think the big thing is, it, is that we need to look at durability and the companies that are going to follow the low risk trials for 10 years. Medtronic has told me they'll follow Sertavi for 10 years. So I think in the next decade we're going to get some pretty good data on durability. And access to coronaries uh, as we intervene on, you know, younger, younger patients right. or lower risk patients? Yeah, it becomes a bigger and bigger issue as these patients are going to live a lot longer and have coronary disease. And, and uh, although uh, I think we've all learned techniques to get around the frames of these devices, um, it's a little more difficult with the uh, given designs out there. And so that's one of the factors we take into account when you pick a valve. Yeah. Is leaflet thrombosis real? Well, you know, leaflet thrombosis happens. Uh, <laughs> I don't know yet. Does uh, it happen just in a few people or, or a lot of these patients developing subclinical thrombosis? Well, it depends how hard you look. Uh, whether you find it, it happens in SAVRs as too. I think Mike can comment. I think the clinical sequelae still have to be uh, worked out and it may have some role in valve degeneration. And, and certainly we all have seen cases of valve dysfunction. 
related to uh, leaflet thrombosis. I think you might be you know, somebody that can help us uh, over time to figure out what's the right pharmacologic regimen uh, to treat and prevent this disorder. I think there are certain considerations which maybe the other guys could talk about with valve and valve procedures, et cetera. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, we're going to get good data from these low-risk trials. Uh, we're going to have randomized patients in both Saver and Taver who are going to get 4-DCTA, and we're going to be able to tell, hey, what's the relative uh, frequency in both groups, and mm -hmm. what does it mean clinically? Mm -hmm. You know, you see this thrombus, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, from a cardiac surgery standpoint, it's really interesting. In cardiac surgery, we used to look at things like structural valve deterioration, and that meant to us you were going to have another valve, yeah. or your echo got so bad you, you had to have another valve. And, and Taver, with the work of Danny and others, have focused on this progression of structural valve deterioration, which is, I think, an ongoing part of leaflet thrombosis. Thrombosis, to me as a surgeon, meant you came back in with a gradient of 50, and, and your leaflets weren't moving at all, and we had to reoperate on you, or thrombolyse you with the risk attendant mm -hmm. with that. Now we're looking at these subtle gradations, mm -hmm. even in surgery. I think it's really focused us in a way that will improve the people that continue to get surgical valves. Everyone's gonna have some kind of valve thrombosis and be troponin positive in the future. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for all of you for joining us here live from Sky 2017.